All right, we're back for part two with our conversation with Norman. Uh, right out. How's it going, Norman? Thanks, for, great thanks for coming back. It took a second session to get my name right, really. I got it right the first time. <laughs> I applaud you. I got it right. Like okay. a ray of sunshine, Ray Dow. Exactly. Um, Norman, yeah, I mean, you had so many interesting stories. We, we wanted to make a two-parter. Uh, you've had a uh, very, very interesting career. Now we, we started touching upon uh, where you are now, what your business plan is going forward, uh, what the company looks like now. Can you, you know, current marketing conditions? Um, you know, we, we, we got, we, we dealt with the past. Let's deal with the present. Uh, can you tell us like what, and the what future. you're seeing and the future? Yeah. Can you tell us what you're seeing now and, and what, what your, your business plans are, are currently? Yeah. You know, we, we, um, we owned about 24,000 apartments and uh, most of them were B and C's. We did, I'd say about 80% of them were B's and C's and, um, and we started selling them off um, over the last two years. I, I thought wrongly um, uh, that the Fed would be raising interest rates sooner mm-hmm. and that we'd see stresses in the market and cap rates go up. It uh, didn't happen. So I missed it by a little bit, but uh, we sold most of our portfolio, about $3 billion worth of multifamily in oh, the wow. last few years. In fact, we were the fifth largest seller of multifamily in the country. Um, I saw this on CoStar, uh, and we we're just behind number four, Blackstone. I go, wow. wow. Yeah. 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 I said, you know, wow, we must have gotten big. I didn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> so we sold that. We uh, built up our balance sheet, had a lot of cash, mm-hmm. and um, and we were going to wait for uh, what the inevitable um, shakeup in the industry and come back in and buy. You know that was the idea two years ago. Now um, I still have an infrastructure. I still like to do deals, and we're an opportunistic company. We're not necessarily a multifamily company. It's just that we've had eleven year run of multifamily that's extraordinary and unique in all history. So, you know, we've been tagged as being a multifamily company, but we've been in condos and we've been in hotels. Uh, in fact, my first deal uh, at, at forming Radco was uh, yeah. buying the Four Seasons Hotel in Atlanta. So so I looked at the, um, the markets and said, you know, I think what we saw in apartments coming out of the Great Recession uh, 10, 11 years ago, um, I see in hotels. Mm-hmm. And I saw it in hotels because, uh, and I, I picked mid-market hotels, just like I picked the B class in apartments, because there was the most devastation. Um, generally, you had um, more thinly capitalized owners, um, and it was the slowest to recover. And because the check size was smaller, the big players, the Blackstones of the world, um, were, um, were you know, it's too painful for them to do $20 million, $30 million, or $40 million deals. Right. They have to do a billion-dollar deal. They need a portfolio, or they need to buy the big stuff, the resorts, the Four Seasons, the you know the St. Regis's of the world. So we focused on the on the, um, on the the three-star. And so during the last year, while we're waiting for the Fed to raise rates and for there to be some um, opportunities in multi, we uh, started buying hotels. So we bought three... Uh, hotels already. We have seven more under contract. Mm-hmm. So uh, by the end of July, we'll have uh, 10 hotels. And I'm hoping that we'll have 
30 or 40 in the next 12 months. So um, I think it's a great strategy. We're coming out of the pandemic now operationally, mm. but, but the debt markets aren't there with hotels yet. And because interest rates are higher, um, the hotel owners can't refinance out of their existing debt without writing a big check. Um, the lenders want their forbearance paid back. Um, the uh, the flags like Hilton and and uh, Marriott want their owners to start doing their PIPs, their property improvement plans that they've waited two and a half years to do. So they now have millions of dollars of checks to do new furniture and you know new lobbies and things. So there's a lot of stress in that market, and so we're we're coming in with fresh capital, new ideas, and um, we're um, you know we're buying everything we can. So. That's been a fun part of our business. Mm. We have to change some of our infrastructure and some additional hotel uh, experience and what have you. But um, we've done that and we've done that successfully. Awesome. In the, in the last two months, um, what's happening in the debt markets with hotels, which happened because of COVID, now has started to happen in multifamily because of what the Fed is is both doing and signaling. Mm-hmm. So I want you to realize that it's not just about the Fed increasing interest rates 75 pips. It's not just about them saying we're going to raise it in uh, July and we're going to raise it again in September. Um, there's something called the yield curve. And so the yield curve is saying, which by the way, has never been right, ever, <laughs> ever been right. But it's a data point that we all have to use because someone has to have something to put in the model. So if you look at the, the yield curve, it's showing straight up. Mm. And so if you're a bridge lender, if you're a bridge lender and you want to know how are you going to be taken out two, three years from now, you have to look at what would Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae or a CMBS loan look like three years from now, because we'll back into that on how much we'll lend. And by looking at that yield curve, it's dramatically affected um, the way they value their, their, their capital. The second thing that's happened is that the Fed has announced that they're not only not uh, no longer um, buying bonds, but they're going to start selling their bond portfolio. Now, why is this important? It's important because what bonds are the Fed, is the Fed buying? They're buying securitizations. Fannie and Freddie and CNBS are all securitized, um, uh, are all securitized and sold as bonds. Well, who buys them? Well, the Fed's been buying. Not all the Fed, but the, the Fed is definitely uh, pushing that market. And that's why interest rates have come down. So why bridge lenders were lending for 150 over uh, LIBOR. So um, I apologize, guys. Okay. Um, and uh, so, uh, so as a result, the bridge lenders are worried who's going to be buying the Fannie, Freddie, and CBS debt two, three years from now. Mm-hmm. And and so they're concerned about what their takeout looks like. So two things have happened. Many of the bridge lenders have just moved to the sidelines. And so they're not there. Mm-hmm. So the few that are still playing um, are, are looking at that risk really seriously and are pricing their debt accordingly. So loans that were, you know, 150 over LIBOR or SOFR um, floating with uh, 65 to 70% leverage in March, today may be 
225, 250 over LIBOR, um, which then immediately brings down the amount that they can lend. And then they're coming down from 70% maybe, or even higher, to 55% leverage. Mm. So that radically changes um, how a model looks, right? And so many deals in the last 30 days have fallen out of contract. Um, They've been awarded and the buyers just walk away. They're not even retrading them because um, I heard one buyer say this who walked away from $2 million. Uh, He said, I don't know what to ask for because I can't get debt. So if I had debt, I I can plug it in. I can tell you this is how it affects my model and this is the retrade I need. So many, many deals in multifamily are falling out Mm. and um, we're starting to see some significant discounts. Are you looking to to pounce on those? Yes, and we just uh, we just got awarded um, uh, a Class A deal, and we're seeing and we're, we're moving to Class A. And the reason we're moving to Class A is the the cap rates for A, B, and Cs for some bizarre reason because there's so much capital, so many people chasing deals. The cap rates are one straight line, so the cap rates for A, Bs, and Cs are the same, even though the risks for Bs and Cs are so much higher because you need to put more capital in constantly, right? And yeah. you have tenants that are more stressed. If you're in a B or a C, you probably are paying two times, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're paying uh, rents at two times your in- uh, one half your income versus someone in an A, maybe it's one, you know, to four. So um, they're stressed. The first people get laid off of the workers, not the, the white collar uh, jobs. So um, that's where more of the risk is. So why would I go and buy, even if I got the same discount, why would I buy a C for the same cap rate as an A? So we've been moving to the A's. Uh, we bought an A-class tower already here in Atlanta. Uh, now we're buying another 205-unit brand new five-story wrap deal, very high-end, a great location. And, um, and I think we're seeing more and more of that as brokers are calling us up and saying, hey, is your price still good? And these are you know, deals where they told us we weren't even in the best and final. So brokers are coming back. And I think you're seeing, they're trying to gauge it. They're trying to structure it and make it sound like it's a very small market blip. Mm. So they're saying that, hey, it's a 3% discount. And then I asked 3% from what? (laughs) It ends up as 3% from the strike price, which is the mid range. But they've been getting over the high range for the last six months. So yeah, yeah, 3% off the strike. But it's probably 11, 12, 15% off what they would have gotten in February or March. So, it's, yeah, that's still not enough in many cases. Um, but any deal that can pencil um, um, and it's a class A deal, a great location, why wouldn't I be buying that? Now, will I buy B's and C's? I will. But we have to start seeing four and five caps on those instead of three caps. And so, um, we'll. You know, watch the market closely and see what happens. But that's what's happening. It's all about, it's not about the equity. The equity is there. Um, it's it's about the ability to get uh, bridge debt. And even if you get permanent debt, that debt also um, the uh, is priced a little higher, but the leverage is much lower. Mm. So it, it, does, it does affect the value. So um, we're going to be there ready. Um, when things make sense. Again, this is not, I don't see an 09 situation. I don't think there's going to be blood in the street, but I do think uh, that many of the expectations of sellers is not going to be met. And right. that um, I think there may be some pain uh, in the 
the uh, the newbies that came in in the last two years, you know, the ones that all tell me they're uh, smarter than me. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and by the way, there's many of them who do. They're smarter than me and uh, because they're buying when I was selling. But they use high leverage bridge that they uh, undercapitalize their deals um, and because they thought they're coming in and out. Um, they don't have operational experience and um, and they've never seen a market like this. I was speaking at a conference uh, about three weeks ago, and uh, there were 700 people attending this multifamily conference, and they were all like 35 or under. Yeah, they never. And uh, and there's a reason for that because anyone who is in their 40 would be in their 40s now or 50 uh, were wiped out in 09 because they just didn't have the capital to stay in the business or the book of business. So so everyone started new in 2010 and 11. Um, and those people are now in the late 20s to mid 30s. So I asked the question, how many of you have ever experienced a three and a half percent treasury uh, before? And no one had because the last 11 years you haven't seen it. I said, well, you will soon. And uh, so all the hubris, all the optimism, all the, you know, I know more than you. Um, you know, uh, um, I think there's going to be some, um, uh, you know, some comeuppance for them um, and learning experience. Uh, over the next few months. You said that, yeah, I mean, you, you, you indicate, isn't B, I always heard like B is more of a safer asset because like when times are tough, like the higher end, like the A people go to Bs, B people go to Cs type of thing. And like kind of the working class people, you know, you always need like service yeah. people, right? Like you don't always need yeah, executives. You do, you do, but you know, it's interesting in like 19, 2019, we started seeing it where, um, there's a lot of deliveries and there are a lot of deliveries in the A class. And, um, and cause that's all you built, right? Nobody's building C class apartments. Everyone's building A class apartments. So, so all these deliveries came in and, um, and you couldn't lease them all up at the same time. You know, there are only a certain number of people who could afford them because if you could, if you could rent for $2,000 a month, you could buy a house too. Right. And so, or a condo and, or you could, rent down if you wanted to. So, so there was a lot of competition for those tenants. As a result, landlords in most major cities were offering one, two, and even three months yeah. free rent. Um, so let's take two months as an example. That's, you know, what, 16, 17%, right? So um, you're effectively, if your rent was $2,000, the effective rent, the net effective rent was really like 1650. So, um, our B class apartments were renting for sixteen hundred. <laughs> we had raised the rents enough. We we you know built out these really nicely, and we we had fifteen sixteen hundred dollars rents in our high end um, renovated units. And so if you if you're getting paying sixteen hundred to me, but can go into brand new at sixteen hundred, we saw our occupancies go down as our tenants moved into those class A's. Now, right. the ones who didn't are the ones who couldn't qualify because you still have to qualify for the, you know, it's a fiction. It was a fiction when you gave two or three uh, free months. You still said your rent was 2000 but it was really your net effective was 1650 So, So, but to keep the fiction going for your banks and your investors, you had to underwrite the tenant at the 2000 So people who couldn't make enough to underwrite that couldn't move up, but everyone else could. And so what you actually saw happen was that the bees actually got hit pretty hard in 2019. 
And um, and because the rents have gone up, we have a we have a Class C apartment that we still own uh, in uh, the St. Petersburg MSA. Not a great location. Uh, I mean, it's a great macro location. It's not a great micro location. It's a 1970 asset. We've made it as nice as it can be. It's still not particularly pretty. Um, the units are one bedrooms and uh, two bedroom, one bath, so it's mm. small. Uh, our two ones are we're getting seventeen hundred dollars a month. Seventeen hundred dollars a month for a nineteen seventy Class C apartment. Mm. It's clean, safe. I mean, I'm, I'm not embarrassed by it, but I'm embarrassed by the rent we're getting. So if you're getting seventeen hundred, it's twenty one hundred or twenty two hundred or for a brand new apartment. Like, it, they're getting too close. And mm-hmm. so at some point, I think people are going to move up rather than move down. So uh, that's what I'm seeing right now. Anyway, that could change if there's a significant recession. But I think you'll see Class A rents claw uh, as much as they can to keep those tenants and, and keep their, their income stream. So, so, um, so I'm not quite sure that's true today. Uh, it, it's a truism. But I'm not sure in today's market that that's going to be true. So what we need to do is you got to start seeing B's and C's. You got to see their cap rates move up to uh, to um, 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 to reflect the risk that comes with them. And by the way, this is something that really pisses me off. The so many people are in the B and C space. Right. Not everyone. There's some really wonderful landlords out there, and we're one of them. But there. Are, there are guys that go in there and don't realize that every year or two or three, you got to put another ten, twenty thousand dollars a unit in. The pipes are going to stop bursting. The uh, yeah. electrical systems have to be upgraded. The air conditioners have to be replaced. The roofs have to be replaced. The windows have to be replaced. The siding has to be replaced. You know, there's always some major expense around the corner. And if now they're caught and can't sell it because the market is dislocated, right? Then, they, then those those apartments are going to deteriorate faster, and who's going to want to live in them? So I think people will move up as, as a consequence. So, yeah, it must uh, yeah easier to find something with everything that's new, you know, plus that's wear and tear is going to break down. Um, you mentioned when we were selling, uh, yes. you said you sold a little bit before uh, the curve, or the, you know, everyone else started selling. Yes. What, what were the indicators? I mean, I. You you said you, you you thought there might be some sort of uh, you know cap rate suppression and and a bunch of a bunch of things, but you didn't it didn't happen yet. Like what were you? Why did you think at that point it was going to happen? Like what were you looking for? Well, well, first first of all, first of all, we were experiencing some of the most unique um, uh, macro situations ever. Right? What are we seeing? We're seeing the first global pandemic in 102 years. Right? I wasn't alive then, and there's no book about that was written, no Harvard case study about what do you do uh, in a global pandemic. The second thing, when you you own real estate, second thing is the government, the world's government, shut down the economy from the top down. When did that happen? Is there a book on that? Go to the library, look for a book, then the government stops the the entire economy. So so there's a risk, right? Who knows about that? Then you got the Fed injecting trillions, trillions of dollars in the economy. And then the federal government saying, hey, well, we want a party too. And they're throwing trillions of dollars in the economy. And and um, and you have 19% unemployment. That's what we got to in April or May of 2020. When do we see that? 1939. That's when we saw that. So none of us were alive then. So you have all that going on. Right? And then you have a, a, a moratorium on evictions. 
So uh, with no rhyme right. or reason, with no, like, how about people just stop paying rent because they don't want to pay rent? <laughs> and, and, and you didn't know that the Supreme Court was going to strike it down. Did anyone here know? I mean, I read it. I said they should strike it down, but, you know, uh, politics be what it, what it is. Who knows? And so so um, you didn't know what's going to happen from that. And frankly, now that the government has tasted national regulations of our industry, they tasted it. Um, they're not going to let the taste out of their mouth easily. So you're hearing calls for rent controls all over the country, you have, uh, uh, localized moratoriums. And if it's not a formal moratorium, the courts are winking and nodding and not evicting people. Eviction times everywhere have, have gone uh, up by weeks. Uh, it's very painful to evict people. Um, we're seeing more fraud than ever. You, you know, the websites, how did the defraudyourlandlord.com? I'm not kidding. You go there and <laughs> buy yourself pay stubs and the social security card and, you know, a work history. And, and, um, and so you have those risks. So all that was happening. And, and, you know, what was the reward going to be to see it through? Right. And then top that with, when was the fed going to raise rates? Zero can't stay here. You can't keep pumping a hundred billion a month into the economy. So how long uh, was that going to last? So, the minute they switch gears, I knew something would happen, which is exactly what's happened. It's just they did it a year later. Yeah. Um, everyone's saying they should have done it now. Every now, everyone's saying they should have done it a year ago. Uh, but a year ago, I felt they should, and um, I'm not a revisionist. Um, and so um, you don't know the day the Fed's going to do that. And look what they look what happened as soon as it did. So um, it could have happened a year ago. So all these risk factors were taking place. I made a lot of money. Why should I risk that with all those risk factors? Right. Yeah. No, makes total sense. What for the hotel world? Like, what do you look for in a hotel? Like, what what makes a good? You know, what do you say? Oh man, this, I could see this being a good investment. Like, what are you looking for? Yeah. So um, you know, you're looking for something we haven't seen in the multifamily world in a long time, which is you know math. Um, <laughs> so, so you know, we see math um, when the math works. That's great. And so what we do is, if you're looking at a hotel and you're capping it for whatever reason, whatever the cap rate is, on, on trailing revenue. Well, that's COVID revenue. Right. No hotel. That's like some hotels, but they're very unique hotels. But most hotels had, had um, you know, a very weak performance in 2021. 20, uh, now, it's better than 2020, but I would say it's called 40 to 50% occupancy. So when to me, if a deal can make sense, and I can finance it, um, and uh, um, at, at forty to fifty percent occupancy, and I can cash flow, even if I don't make money, when they return to normalcy, which is seventy to eighty percent occupancy and much higher rates, you know, this should, it should become a cash cow. And so that's exactly what's happened. I and mean, we bought, started buying last August, and, and um, immediately, you know, we, we got out of the main part of COVID. We then got hit by Delta. So you know, we went up, then we came down again, but back to that baseline of 50%. So we're still cash flowing. Then we started coming out of Delta and then Omicron hit in January and February were terrible months. We cash flowed. Now, anyone who owned the properties that hadn't sold, they owned them at twice what we paid for them. So uh, they they weren't cash flow because yeah. they're their, their, um, you know, their investment was, and you were able to buy them at a, at a discount that made sense for you. Like, Hey, like, yeah. Okay. 
it's, it's, it's just math. It's just math. So since February, March, April, May, and if your viewers could see, see my hand, I'm just having this nice 45 degree line up. And it's actually now, and at the end of May, it's been trending up like the yield curve. It's been going up pretty well. So, so well, our cash flows are extraordinary. Now we have hotels in the 70s occupancy that we bought based on 50% occupancy. And, and, um, and that was what we projected for next year, not this year. So we're very happy about that. Do you go in and do anything to the hotel or are you just kind of like buy it as, I mean, are you going in and updating things and putting, oh, you also said you had some new ideas around hotels. Like what, what are those new ideas? Well, first of all, the, some of the hotels we're buying are brand new. Some are brand new that the, uh, the um, owners have to sell because um, they need cash for the other deals. Right. Because they're, the other deals now have pips, property improvement plans, and things they have to do and they need money. So this, we're buying um, uh, a deal right now that's brand spanking new and it's going to be delivered um, uh, to us in the next couple of months. And it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And we're bu- we bought it at 171000 a door for a five-story you know, uh, hotel that should cost two fifty to three hundred a door to build today, so that that's going to require nothing. That but most of the hotels have seen some wear and tear, not because they're old and decrepit, but because for two and a half years there's been no cash to keep them up. So we're going to go in and just that's a, a you know modernize and refresh them, and then implement the uh, brand standard um, pips on those properties. Some of them we have discretion and we're doing some, you know, really uh, cool things. We're taking some brands and going into the uh, Couture brand where you can um, have a lot more flexibility than having, let's say, a Doubletree, mm. you go to a tapestry or, you know, a- every one of these brands has these now um, curated hotels uh, uh, branding system that you can do and make it really unique. So we're doing some of that to make those hotels unique. Uh, but, you know, what we bring to the table is fresh capital um, and uh, a clean balance sheet. So we can get that and um, we bring capital in to restore the property to what it should be. So um, that, that's what really gives us the competitive advantage. Again, a Blackstone or a KKR or Starwood, they, they're not doing 30, 40 million dollar deals. Right. They're doing 500 to a billion dollar deals. So if I put 20 or 30 together, they may want to buy the whole thing, but they're they can't buy these individual deals. It's too, it's just too much brain. Yeah. I mean, is yeah. What what is like the exit strategy from hotels? Do you have? Is it just hold forever, or is there like opportunity? I mean, well, you said your opportunity, you can just sell whenever it makes sense, right? That's right. That's, that's right. And one and, and and I'm not shy. You know, I'll tell you a, a story that uh, when I owned the Four Seasons, I mean, this is my first deal, so I loved it. <laughs> it was an extraordinary building. It is 53 stories. Imagine a poor th- a kid in his 30s all of a sudden owns a Did you live there? No, but I almost lived there in that I was there all the time. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and it's mine. And, I, I, you know, I, it's just I walk in and hello, Mr. Radow, and I just feel so good, you know, and and uh, and, and we sold it. You know, we sold it. And I remember we closed in the, the law firm in our building actually closed it. So we finished the closing and I walk out into the lobby and already the new owner, which is Blackstone, they were already changing the locks. Oh, really? They were changing the name. 
They're changing the flowers. You know, workers <laughs> are everywhere doing everything, you know. And I felt, uh, you know, I felt so small. I felt sad. I was, yeah. I, I was only in tears because this is my baby. And then look at their, they're pissing on my baby. You know, I felt terrible, you know. So I, I went home. It was late at night. It was a long closing. And I, I go home. And, I, you know, I shed a tear. I, I'll tell you, I, I'm not going to lie. I shed a tear. And in the morning, I got a call. I got woken up. My banker called and said, your wire arrived. All of a sudden, I felt great. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, you know, and so the lesson from that is you can't fall in love with your real estate. Yeah. You've got to be dispassionate and went to buy, went to refinance, went to sell. You got to look at it, think about it. And it's not always about numbers. It's also about if your audience would see them, uh, um, I'm touching my, my tuchus. It's also about, <laughs> the instinct, you know, uh, I, I sometimes tell people my, my, um, they ask what the data, what data do you, um, use to determine your rents or determine this or that. And I, I hit my tushy and I say that data, <laughs> I, just, I just feel it. It's my gut, you know, it's my, uh, you know, and, and so, um, um, so you have to use that as well, but it, it's gotta be more about math and dispassion and, and dispassionate choice rather than falling in love with something. Is so, that, is that like your, the one thread or the one lesson you've learned over the last, how many years have you been doing this number of years? Well, that, was, that was 1997 when I learned that lesson. So that's 25 years ago that I, I learned don't, don't fall in love with your real estate. And that's why I sold. Now you may say, Hey, you sold a little early, but that's by luck. That's just that. And, and I'm not a gambler, you know, Yeah, it's gambling. If I held them another year, it's gambling. And if I held them another year and a month, I would have lost, right? Because right now, look what's happening. So you don't know when that day is going to happen. You don't know the stock market. Now everyone's you know crying about the stock market. Well, you don't know the day that's going to happen. They've, they've been talking about the stock market's going down. The stock market's going down for two years. Well, it's gone up 40% in the two years that they've been. You know, well, the yeah, I know. I would say, yeah. Yeah. So now it's come down 20%. Well, you're still 20% better than a year ago. So, um, so you, you, you're timing all these experts. No one got the timing right. So our timing was a little off on the sales, but that's by happenstance, not because I missed something. Uh, it's just that the Fed decided to let the party run a little longer than I expected. Any so, sales? Do you have any sales that you absolutely regret? Um, that's a great question, and the answer is yes. Um, I regret them uh, more the timing of them. Um, and a couple of them, I think, were things I should have held um, intergenerationally that I thought that the locations were so superior that I should have held them longer. And, um, you know, but I have investors and um, our deals are based on IRRs, internal rates of return. And internal rates of return have, you know, really two things in that number. And one is profit, you know, how much profit you make, cash. But the second is time. So the longer you hold it, even though you make more money, um, my promote goes down. So unless I go back to my investors and recalculate and renegotiate how a deal is structured, I really am I'm pushed to sell it. So uh, uh, sooner rather than later, because that, that's the way promotes work. And so we're trying to, on these class A buildings um, that we know we can own for a lot longer than great locations that we're buying now, uh, we're modeling that in and changing the way uh, the, the promote structures work so that um, we're, we're not pushed 
we're not incentivized to sell earlier. So we are changing that. But that was the reason I, I, I made the decision was because of the way the promote structure was, was set up. But I do regret probably about four or five deals um, that I, I wish I would have held. If not longer, I would have held a lot longer. Uh, but that's out of that's out of 100. They say it's impossible to time things, right? Well, uh, listen, we all, I did 100 deals um, in you know, 10 years. And I've now sold like 91 of them or something, something like that. And I made money for my investors on every single deal. Now, some aren't home runs, um, mm-hmm. but most were grand slams. I, I don't know any other real estate company. I don't care what the cycle is that you can have a hundred. And my other, the ones I haven't sold yet are in the money, like, you know, by, you know, mega amounts. Um, Because we've already refinanced some of them out, all the equity, and some even have a two multiple just from refinancing. So, so all of them are profitable. A hundred deals, all profitable over a ten-year period. No one can say your real name, Midas. (laughs) Midas, you got to be comfortable with some singles and doubles, right? You need those two for a run. Yeah, I don't know, Mike. If uh, many in your audience even are old enough to know Midas, (laughs) The, the Midas touch. (laughs) <laughs> minus mufflers what's what's going on in the, so what what's what's next what are you are you foreseeing the hotels right now i mean yeah we're doing a little dip right now but it's it's a blip like you said uh or we hope yeah i think hotels we got a, we got a couple years uh on those um to go in terms of buying opportunities uh and um um but i think apartments are um something that we're going to be looking at much more closely again but we bought a high-rise, a 23-story building this year uh, in Atlanta. We're buying this um, this other um, uh, mid-rise, uh, brand new, very high-end. Uh, we'll probably close in August. Um, so um, um, we're going to be looking at that. I wouldn't be surprised if we find a lot more opportunities there. Uh, I don't know how long that's going to last, nor do I know if I'm catching a falling knife and I'm going to see my hand bleeding. Yeah. But if it makes sense, it doesn't have to be at the bottom. Again, I didn't time the top to the top, top, top. I don't have to time the bottom to the bottom, bottom either. I just have to make sure our deals make sense. That's why Class A's are, you know, I think uh, a safe way to go. Great locations that last a long time. Not a lot of capital you have to put into them. Uh, and so if the market dips further before it goes up, we're going to be fine. So we're going to be buying apartments now. And um, how deep this goes um, will uh debt come back into the market faster have we wiped out a lot of buyers right now right now we're we're bidding on things in single one of five or ten bidders when two months ago it would have been 30 to 50. yeah so the market is definitely thinned um and uh so that gives us more opportunity well i hear the weather in atlanta is around 90 degrees today is that correct it is a little hazy hazy summer day well i hope you have air conditioning because are you ready for the hot seat all right, shoot, I'm ready. Oh. The Hot Seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. 
They do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com, K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. Question number one, do you have any book and or podcast recommendations? Podcast, well, Mike and Chris show. Mike and Chris show, the best. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Chris, I named Mike first. but I know, you know he's younger. It, it, yeah, that's right, and he's wearing blue today, so... I, I give him I give him an extra point for the color. <laughs> let's go, let's go, Rangers. At the go Rangers. Sorry, Norm. I love. It. I, we need a hockey team back in Atlanta, so uh, maybe we'll go steal them from you. Oh, they lost the Thrashers. I remember those guys. You can have the Islanders for sure. Let's go take them. All right, we got. Uh, we'll make them great. I know. We'll make them great. Uh, so um, uh, books. Right now, I'm reading uh, a book on uh, the life of James Madison. Oh wow! Know, yeah, calm down, down, you know. And, uh, but uh, really fascinating, fascinating discussion of the politics of the late 1700s and the 1800s. Of course, I've read about every other founding father, but I hadn't read a book just about James Madison. So um, I um, I find that really fascinating, and I think it gives us some instruction about how we should deal with each other politically today in our country mm. um and uh i hope we can learn lessons um from it and that uh, we all can be civil to each other so I, I, it's an important book it's a fun book to read if you're a historian and uh you know i would take a look at that who, um, who uh i read the john adams book which was great was there any really interesting fact about uh james madison like anything quirky like i know like uh John Adams, they call it like the Royal Rotunda or whatever they used to call him. Uh, anything weird about it, or, or, or Madison? Um, weird, weird, weird. Um, he was also a, um, um, a small man, soft-spoken, um, and not the kind of guy I think today that could be a leader in our country. It's interesting. Jefferson wasn't what well, you know, didn't speak. Uh, uh, he didn't even address Congress. He had. I think he may have read something, uh, one of his State of the Unions, and no one could hear a word he said. I mean, these are these are not people who spoke in sound bites, and not people who yeah. had um, um, you know gravitas, um, but they were intellectual giants. And uh, and Madison was one of those. Um, I, I think he paled to uh, Alexander Hamilton, for example, but um, but he was a met, an intellectual giant. And we certainly could use. Yeah, doing the White That's House. That's a problem. Like the, 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 the smartest people don't generally run for president because it's uh, it's kind of the lowest common denominator wins. Yeah. So uh, and so that was just interesting that not well spoken, um, but uh, an intellectual giant. The opposite of Mike. Uh, <laughs> I also would it, recommend the book I'm reading a second time right now uh, called uh, "Naked Money." Okay. Uh, I forgot the author's name phenomenal book to explain our financial system and um you know what the fed does should do doesn't do 
uh, and how um, um, uh, things we do in the marketplace affect value. So I highly recommend that. That stuff's fascinating. I listened to a podcast about that yesterday, something similar, like in layman's terms. It's so, it's very complicated. Um, and it's fascinating though, just how it all interacts. Does it as much a layman's term as possible? Good, because I'm a layman. Uh, yeah, so I'm a- <laughs> go ahead, Mikey. Norman, what advice do you have for someone looking to start out in the real estate business? So I get that question a lot. I mean, I help every young person. Um, they call me, can I meet with you? Give me advice, what have you? And some of them uh, become very successful. This is not just today, but over the last you know 15, 20 years. That have given this advice. In fact, someone was in my office the other day who's been in the business seven years, has become very, very successful, and attributes you know a lot of that to the confidence that I gave him and some of the lessons and then introductions that I gave to him as well. So the first thing, as I would say, is um, uh, learn from someone else. You know, don't don't be um, so arrogant to think you're going to go out and be better than Radco or better than a Cortland, or better than, you know, uh, um, uh, um, a Joe Lubeck uh, at, um, at American Landmark. Like, go go work for them. Go work for us. Learn two good years at least, if not longer, and learn how, the, how real estate actually works. Um, you don't have to do everything, but you have to pay attention and learn. So people are running in without, I, I mean, every day people ran in the business without experience, and have this arrogance of cockiness because they don't even realize the risk they're taking. So start out working for someone else and learn. You know, there's an old adage, um, learn on other people's money. And I think it's really true. So learn, learn, learn. And then the other thing I've been advising people in the last two years who are jumping into multifamily particularly is I said, I don't think it's a good idea to start a business um, at the peak. Right. And so I would hold off um, until you see, keep working, draw a salary, have a business plan, keep learning. And when the opportunity knocks, like we're seeing right now, starting to see some of that, or an 08, 09 event happens, or COVID strikes, right? And, and there's a disruption to come in then. Because then if you screw things up and you make mistakes, and we did plenty, you're doing it at the low and not at the high. And you really, um, I used to say until just now when the prices came down, that things were priced to perfection. Mm-hmm. That means everything had to work in your model. You had to operate. You had to guess the market right. You had to, um, you know, um, uh, uh, pick the right finishes, the right, whatever, whatever the business plan was. You had to hope that that didn't go up. Your interest rates didn't go up. Everything had, had to, to be, be perfect, perfect yeah. to, to, to make money. Well, I'm not perfect. So you with no experience, believe me, you're not perfect. So keep learning, make money, save your money, and look for those opportunities, those dips where you can come in and still make mistakes and learn while um, you're growing your company. So that's my advice to people the last two years is wait. Have patience. Have a little patience. Confidence and patience. Now, Norman, Mike and I... I don't have to teach confidence. These guys have... If you're in our business, you have to have confidence. Yeah, it's a risk. Norman, so Mike and I are executive search professionals or recruiters or headhunters, whatever you call it. What do you, so we're dealing, you know, our day-to-day is helping folks like yourself hire talent. So like, what do you look for when you're hiring people? Like as far as, I don't know, attitude or 
So that's the most important thing. You know, um, we have uh, a class of three analysts starting um, on, um, I don't know, in a week. And, uh, and um, you know, we went through probably, uh, God knows how many resumes, but we probably did about 20 or so interviews. And, um, and what was important, look, they all went to like, right out of college. Mm-hmm. They all have degrees. They all have the same degree. And they went to Terry College of Business uh, of real estate and um, or finance in, in University of Georgia, or they went to Vandy, where they have a degree in real estate. And, you know, so they have these, they, you know, you know, they have that that base knowledge. So b- besides giving them an Excel test, and believe me, some of them didn't pass, but most of them passed the Excel test. Is um, uh, how do they how do they fit in to our corporate culture? It wasn't about who was smarter. It wasn't about um, that. It was about who would fit in at, and be a member of the team and not try to be um, one of, um, um, you know, standalone or what have you. One of the great things about our team, you know, we, you know, in our business, every transaction, there are bonuses and there are promote structures and, and things like that that we are very generous with. And our analysts um, and acquisition team got together and came to us and said, and came to me and said, "Hey, uh, we don't like the bonus structure." So I said, "Oh my God, they're gonna—they want more money?" Yeah. Uh, no, they said we want to share it. We want to do it as a pool. We don't want to compete oh, against nice. each other. We want to be a team. And I go, "That is Radco." And so I'm looking for people who want to be part of the team. I want. Or, you know, let there be a little friendly competition about who does things better and who can teach and who can grow faster. That's great, but not at the expense of other people or the company. And so that that's the hardest thing to find, uh, frankly, because yeah. so many kids coming out of college think they know it all. You know, yeah, Mike, so, Mike came to me and asked, said the same thing. And I said, no, you're still going to get my scraps. So <laughs> we're not there yet. Uh, Mike, you want to take the, the last one? Sure. Um, and by the way, Norman- that takes a lot. To learn a lot to learn. Look, I'm 28, 28 years in business. I can tell you now, I have the best team I've ever had uh, on the field. The best, and I mean team underlying exclamation point. They 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 gel. The energy is incredible. Um, I feel so young being with them, um, and because they inspire me. And uh, it, but it took 28 years to do that. And um, uh, I'm not afraid now to make the tough decisions to keep that corporate culture um, the way it is. Yeah, we're we're so, the same yeah. way. We we our corporate culture is the most important thing, and hiring is the most important part of even as recruiters. Like hiring people to work with us internally at at our firm is the most important. It's a very, yeah, it's it's delicate for sure. But you know, I have a luxury now. Ten years ago, yeah, I was growing so fast. Because I didn't expect, I actually, at the beginning, I didn't know how big it was going to be, the multifamily part of the business. So we were growing so fast that I had to start throwing bodies at things and build my infrastructure behind me. Right. And and that meant bodies, right? It didn't mean corporate culture. We didn't say, well, let's give these tests. Let's have take them out the drinks. You know, let's see how they fit with everyone. No. Oh, you can do that? Great. Here's a desk. Because um, you had to do it. I had to catch up so fast. I had. 10,000 units by 2014. And, um, and I had an infrastructure that couldn't handle that. And then we had 20,000 uh, by the end of uh, 2015. And, 
and you know, I had to just throw bodies at stuff. And so, um, um, you know, now as we sold, got a little smaller, um, you know, we could then look at who are our nines and tens and uh, let's build our company around the nines and tens. And then slowly um, with time and plenty of time and capital, we can create a, a team ready for the next um, back, you know, the next uh, business plan. And so we've really had a luxury these last, uh, this last year um, uh, building up in advance as opposed to having to throw bodies at things just to get things done because we've outgrown our infrastructure. Nice, man. Well, Norman, you came back for a second helping. Thank you for taking the time. It's been solid two hours of your time. You're a great man with a great story. I'd love to meet you in person. Hopefully sometime we can uh, all go to, our, all go to our Where room. are you? Where are you located? I'm in, uh, right, I'm in right by Palo Alto and Mike's in, in midtown Manhattan. So uh, I'm in New York a lot. We're going, we're having a team building uh, thing out in the Hamptons in like two weeks. So uh, I'm back. Yeah, I come to New York often. And um, so uh, I'll, let's see if we can arrange a time to meet there. I'd love that would that. be great. Well, Norman Radow, the founder and CEO of the Radco Companies. Thanks for sharing your story with us. It's, it's great. All right, Mark and Chris, recommend your podcast. Had a great time and uh, wish you all well.